How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am Eric Name. I am in, I'm playing a road game uh, right now. Uh, (laughs) On the road edition of Locked on Bucks here in Charleston, South Carolina. Joining me as always is Frank Madden. We missed you yesterday because Frank was traveling. I was here in Charleston and it was a whole thing, and we we just didn't get you a podcast, and we're very sorry about that. Um, but the the game that we missed was the Washington Wizards beating the Milwaukee Bucks 107-102 in their second straight game. It wasn't a back-to-back, but it was a home-and-home on the 23rd and the 26th. Uh, so the Bucks lose that game, and... I guess, Frank, how are you? How was your trip? How was your Christmas? All, all of those things? Uh, I, have, I have no complaints at all. I got into Bucks games. Uh, I mean, we enjoyed the last one so much that we podcasted on a weekend. So yeah. that, that, was, uh, that was nice. You know we what? Now to... I don't feel guilty about missing it. Like, yeah. now, now that you remind me of that, like, we, we, we kind of put a present in there. So I don't feel as guilty. <laughs> We were celebrating. Uh, we were taking our Christmas holiday on Boxing Day, so we were being very, uh, <laughs> very British, I guess, um, doing the Boxing Day thing, which you know is a, a bank holiday in in Australia and and uh, in, in England. So our our friends uh, and in, in Canada too. So all of our friends and you know English speaking countries that are not America, yeah. uh, they can they can I guess appreciate it. Um, but no, I had a, I had a, a good good stay at home and. Um, was happy to see two very um, fun Bucks games in different ways. Obviously, losing to Cleveland was was not as fun at, in the end, but uh, watching the Bucks destroy the Wizards and apparently offend the Wizards because heaven forbid Giannis played into the fourth quarter and got his <laughs> career high. Um, I I don't know if people saw Bradley Beal's quote about. Um, I thought it was you know, Wall, but either way, that's fine. It was Beal. It was, was Beal. Yeah, he was. They, they, you know, they basically he said something about like, yeah, you know, they were a little bit uh, motivated after getting their ass kicked um, in in Milwaukee and um, Giannis playing into the fourth quarter, going his for career high. And Bradley Beal said, "Oh well, it didn't it didn't count because he didn't get to forty. It's like, yeah, Brad, like cool, you've had you've had two forty point games this season, but guess what? You're like half the player Giannis is, so suck it." Um, <laughs> um but i don't know what i don't know what it yeah it's it's funny um you know our our friends behind the buck pass tweeted you know what what, whatever for some reason the bucks seem to be just you know without really doing much themselves they're getting under the skin of of their eastern conference uh rivals here with the Cavs and and wizards um but i guess that's just what happens when no one thinks you're supposed to be that good and then you you end up beating the crap out of teams um then they they come back and you know they they really want to get some revenge on you so sounds like somebody's scared yeah exactly well i mean beal answered with you know i mean it's not like 
Beal didn't do much in either game, right? I don't, or at least he started slow. I was listening to the game on the radio as I drove through Missouri and Oklahoma last night. So twenty-two, uh, three for eight for Brad Beal um, from the three-point line. Okay, so he, minutes. he was fine. Yeah, so he he kind of pulled it together then. Um, whereas you know, and I was joking that the uh, on on our email thread. Um, because uh, Eric Benning wrote the the recap, and I, uh, he said he was going to do it, and I said, you know, unfortunately, you can probably just copy paste the last one we did uh, <laughs> with Wiz Bucks in Washington. Bucks, I think in that game they led 195 and end up, you know, kind of choking away down the stretch. This game they lead 96, 86, choke that away down the stretch, and um, you know, I think we talked after that game about, you know, well, Delhi's been crap in fourth quarters and yeah. and and teams are basically saying okay if you want to play you know Giannis Delhi two-man game we choose Delhi to shoot shots and in in the game last night he goes 0 for 3 he misses two free throws on top of that um and that just sort of you know I think has um has kind of punctuated a a very problematic um you know clutch uh performance thus far from from Delhi uh, in this first, you know, roughly call it third of the season for the Bucks, and you know, it's obviously kind of been a, a recurring theme for us that that he has struggled um, down the stretch of games. And um, let's see, uh, do you do you care to guess what uh, what Delhi's shooting percentage is in clutch situations this year? Uh, so that's what game within five points, final yeah. five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, give me twenty six percent. He is one out of 13, 7.7%. Man, I was being generous. Yeah, so that's exciting. Um, Tony Snell, two of seven in clutch situations. I think I made, you know, I thought Tony Snell was 0 for 8 or 0 of 9 when before he hit that shot, um, I think against Cleveland last week. Yeah. But maybe I was looking at Della Vadova's stats because it looks like, like either way, they've both been crap, right? And yeah. uh, and and obviously, twenty eight percent is four times better than than seven percent. Um, but either one, you know, when you're starting shooting guard, you're starting shooting guard and starting point guard. The guys who are closing out clutch games for you have combined to make three buckets in clutch situations through whatever it is, thirty games or so. Um, that ain't great. Uh, and no. I think it, you know, we were discussing before the show. Uh, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, I, at last time I checked, Brogdon only played a couple minutes in the clutch all season just because those guys have obviously been the go-to guys down the stretch. Um, as much as we talk about kid trying to ride like hot hands into sort of late fourth quarter periods, um, that really hasn't been the case with, with Brogdon. And he has been very consistent in going with Snell and Del Vadova late in games. And obviously they have not delivered and, um, you know, with Snell, you can at least say, well, <laughs> Chris Middleton will eventually <laughs> come back. And we probably need to talk about that as well, because I think there is this, the, the story came out of, of Chris Middleton and his rehab seemingly going pretty well. And, you know, talking about coming back this year, but obviously that you don't, you know, and no one, no one is, is saying that he'll be rushed back. But you know, there's been sort of thrown out there that he might be back this year. But um, but that doesn't really solve the Bucks' point guard issues. And, and obviously Malcolm Brogdon has um impressed overall 
has gotten, I think, better as the season's gone on. And, um, you know, I think that's a legitimate question to be asked at this point. A lot of Bucks fans are wondering, you know, well, if if Brogdon is out playing Della Vadova at some point, you know, given that neither guy is a huge minute, you know, neither, neither guy is playing 35 minutes. Um, you know, should Brogdon be the guy getting getting the, the slightly more minutes than Della Vadova when it's been the reverse so far? I don't really think so. Um, like, I, I guess that there's a couple, there's a couple things I think about when we think, when we ask this question, the, the first is one, do you think Malcolm Brogdon is going to be considerably better in that situation? Right now, Malcolm Brogdon is playing good basketball. He's continuing to answer all of the questions that, that we've posed for him. And he very well may do that same thing if he's put in in clutch situations. But I, I think it's fair to say Delhi's being overused in the clutch. And, and I think it's, it's not to the extreme extent that Chris Middleton was overused in the clutch last year. Last year. I know we met up for lunch over Christmas and I talked about how I had kind of ran the numbers and looked at usage rates and compared usage rates during the the entire game to the usage rates in the final five minutes and Chris Middleton had like a forty percent increase, which was one of the, the largest increases in the entire league, like top five. And his usage number in in the clutch last season among players that played in a certain number of games was top fifteen, top twenty. So he was overused last year in the clutch. And Delhi is not being used to that extent. But to move Delhi's usage up from, I don't even know what it is, 15 regularly to 20, 21 in clutch time is significant. Like That's moving him from a bit player to one of your, your most active players. And last year we saw with Middleton, his usage went from, from 20-something to 30-something. That that's a huge, huge increase, and we're not seeing kind of that same thing with Giannis, and and I guess at the crux of this issue for me is maybe Brogdon is better, but if the point guard between whether it's Brogdon or Delhi is going to be leaned on to that extent, I I don't know if it much matters if it's Delhi or Brogdon because at this point asking either of them. Uh, because I'd assume you're still going to run instead of Delhi and Giannis pick and rolls or Giannis Delhi pick and rolls. You're going to run Brogdon Giannis pick and rolls or Gian, or Brogdon Giannis pick and rolls. Like your go-to sets, I don't think are going to change. So you're still going to be overutilizing someone who's probably better suited as a bit player. Now, if we want to talk about larger issues, like the larger issue is that Giannis hasn't seen the same yump same bump that Chris was seeing last year. And I don't even think it's healthy to see that large of a bump, but seeing a larger bump in Jabari is not taking on a larger role in the, in the clutch. Those are the issues, not whether or not Delhi's clutch enough or anything like that, or if it should be Brogdon instead of Delhi. Like, no, that's not the problem. The problem is the point guard, whoever it may be, has the ball too much. They're being leaned on too much because they're not that good of playmakers, so they shouldn't be asked to do those things. It's interesting because I think, um, you know, last year, Point Giannis and, you know, I think a lot of people, 
obviously sort of, you know, really loved the idea of, of Giannis being the guy, bringing the ball up, initiating from the top, getting high pick and rolls, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, it's interesting this year because he has diversified his game, I think, in a really encouraging way. And I think what he's done from the elbow, um, you know, they they run these elbow gets, which which are a variant of a pick and roll. A lot of times it ends up being, you know, it, they're these kind of four or five pick and rolls where basically Giannis is, you know, Starting the four. The elbow. Yeah. yeah. And and then, you know, Henson or Monroe, whoever is is rolling the rim. And it's basically kind of, you know, I think the, I think they don't they also got like a snug pick and roll. Is that is that a snug pick and roll like the four or five like uh, short like you're starting closer to the basket basically because you're yeah, dealing with bigger guys. I think snug pick and rolls more typically refer to like wing snug pick and rolls like where you somehow started on a wing instead. But yeah, elbow get is pretty much what the Bucks run, and it it was popularized by D'Antoni and the Suns. Uh, that would have been like. Sean Marion and Amari Stoudemire, Boris Diaw and Amari Stoudemire, um, if you're trying to imagine what an elbow get might look like. Yeah, and so, and I, I think, you know, running really high pick and roll, I mean, it's hard to run really high pick and roll with Giannis because, you know, teams obviously don't want to guard him very far from the hoop. You know, someone asked me a while ago, um, well, why don't the Bucks run like a really high pick and roll for Giannis 25 feet from the hoop and he can get like a head of steam? And it's like, well, you ha- teams have to want to guard you out there to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to be able to run a high pick and roll. I mean, I was watching, you know, the, the Rockets tonight and, um, you know, teams want to defend James Harden far away from the basket because he can shoot and, you know, they want to get, get really crowd him. And we've seen some teams try to do that, like Shumpert, you know, really try to get yeah. up in on Giannis. And I think I think there's value in doing that. I think we may see more of that moving forward. And in situations like that, you may see teams try to um you know the opportunity to maybe run some some pick and rolls that that start from further out um on the court but i think Giannis also often doesn't look particularly comfortable when he's trying to dribble and he gets sort of doing that like sidestep dribble thing and mm-hmm. um obviously he's not going to pull up from 25 feet with a guy on him the way you know he's not steph curry or something like that so you, you kind of try to do different things and it's not to say that oh you don't want to run high pick and roll with Giannis because I think you want to try to run all sorts of things with Giannis um but it is an interesting kind of this thing you go down the stretch well what kind of plays do you run and you know we've talked about the challenge of running these Jabari Giannis pick and rolls because I mean they're going to be guarding but guarded by guys who are very similar so you're not going to get like a mismatch really um from that type of action and teams can just sort of switch you know again it's not to say you can't do it or you know we, we've seen Jabari kind of initiate some sets and you can run um, Jabari initiating sets, maybe give him the option to either make a pass to to Giannis uh, to set up an elbow get versus, mm-hmm. you know, he can also then try to attack from, I think usually they try to do it from the left side. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think, again, it's just like, you know, how can, can, can you be varied um, rather than being predictable? Because I think the book is out, obviously, on the Bucks when they try to run two-man game with Giannis and Deli. And Giannis has been, you know, terrific as a pick-and-roll finisher. But, um you know, when teams have a chance to either force Delhi to take a shot or, or you know, for, you know, try to crowd Delhi, obviously they're going to try to, you know, force Delhi to, to beat them. And, um, you know, just from the numbers we've cited, obviously Delhi's not doing that. And yeah. um, for me, I mean, I think we, we were discussing, well, if you wanted to get Brogdon in, how do you, you know, stretch him out or how do you get him to be, how could, you know, can you easily get him to close games when he's coming off the bench? And I would agree, like, I, I don't, I probably I know I wouldn't start Brogdon at this point just because in part because he and Monroe have such a good chemistry off the bench. Uh, yeah, I, um, I'm happy you mentioned it because I was going to talk about that too. But go right, ahead, sorry. Right. I mean, if you were gonna if you're gonna do 
if you're going to start the five best Bucks players, right, at each position, mm-hmm. you would you would start Brogdon and Monroe over Henson and Delavadova, just based on like meritocracy. You know whose numbers are the best. You know, look at on-off numbers, things like that. It would be sure. easy, right? Those guys have been clearly the most productive players. But you know, the part of the issue is balance and. No, and uh, big I mean, also, I'd probably argue that Brogdon's my best shooting guard. Like, if I if we're going to be really honest about this, well, especially if you know, I, I think you can argue, you know, could Brogdon, you know, how, how effective would Brogdon be as an off-ball guy spotting up and shooting threes? I mean, he's been very good at spotting up and shooting threes so far. I don't, I think he, I think part of the problem is I don't think he could necessarily make some of the threes that Tony Snell makes. In terms of his trigger not being quick enough, that that's one thing I kind of wonder about. But sure. you know, whatever. I mean, he only has to make him at a thirty percent rate. Yeah, though, exactly. So. Snell, Snell has, has not been good enough to really, you know, the bar is not that high. Um, but yeah, I, I think we talked about that recently. You know, can you get Brogdon on the court with Delhi later in games? Take Snell perhaps off the floor. You know, I think uh, I, I, the that's co- the thing that interests me most. If we're being completely honest, if we're talking about crunch time lineups, I think that's the thing that interests me most. Um, but like you said, like it, it, it's just really difficult, I think, because at this point, uh, Monroe and Brogdon have made it so that you should want to absolutely maximize their minutes together. Like they have, they have very good chemistry. They just seem to play well off of each other. They seem to work well together that I think you'd want to maximize their minutes. And, And if you do that, then all of a sudden you get into quite a conundrum in the end of the game where you're trying to end with both Brogdon and Delhi, and then Brogdon's got to play like 18 minutes in a row, or I don't know, there would be some strange things you'd have to do. So even though it's something that interests me a lot, like it, it just doesn't seem particularly likely um, and not the easiest thing to, to manage, I would say. Yeah, and well, it, it's interesting to note, though. So I think we saw this, and we didn't bring it up, but we were talking about this, and then in the Washington game, the first Washington game, um, the one last Friday, I think Brogdon and Delavadova overlapped by like only a few minutes, and they were like plus three in like three minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting, in the game uh, on Monday, Brogdon and Delavadova played basically from the mid to late um, third quarter, and they were plus six in a lineup with basically Brogdon in for Snell. So in a four-minute span, the starters with Brogdon instead of Snell were plus six. And then um, they brought in, I think, Monroe and Beasley, and they were another plus one in like two minutes or something like that. But we kind of saw that a little bit um, where we got to see what uh, a Delhi and Brogdon lineup looked like. We have not seen that very much this season. I want to. I want to say it's like under forty minutes. I think at this point still. And I, don't I, think, I were... think with four in this one, I might have gotten over forty, but it's it's very close to forty. It's very close, and I don't think it's been it, like to be clear. I don't think it's been a good combination thus far overall. Hundred percent um, agree. But I think you know. Again, I mean, we're talking about a rookie and a guy who's new to the system, and forty uh, minutes of a sample size, right? And so everything is very much in flux. And I think for theoretical reasons, it's it's worth it's worth exploring. So perhaps that that seed has now been planted with with Jason Kidd based on you know what we've seen in the past couple of games, and you know again, will we see Brogdon maybe get a blow? Um, 
because if he's playing, you know, again, if he's coming in midway through the third, it's hard to play him, you know, 18, 19 straight minutes. You know, might they try to get him a blow to make him, you know, to allow him to be able to finish the game? Perhaps, you know, the interesting thing about the other game the other night also was the fact that Tony Snell shot the ball great, right? Which made it that much more frustrating to lose the game because he scores 20 points and it's whatever it was, five threes, six threes. And you can't pull out a win. Yeah. So that was obviously frustrating. You know, you can't get a win when you get an outlier game from from Tony Snell. But I think it'll be an interesting thing to watch. Um, you know, I think the other question, obviously, we can maybe have uh, for another time we can debate whether Henson over Monroe late in games, you know, whether that's that you know, we're getting closer and closer. Um, yeah. That one, too. Um, yeah. I was going to say because go I would say this about Henson. And I think I joked about this the other day, but like. Henson is a guy who game to game, I have the, like, I, I never, I like, I never have like any type of impression of him. It's just like, I don't know. He's probably like a minus three and he blocked a couple shots and he got some rebounds and he got a couple dunks and I don't know. Like, I, I know that the numbers don't suggest that he really has worked well with the starters. Um, his individual efficiency numbers, I think have been much better. Um, of late he's rebounding better than he did you know the last couple of years that that number have been going down sort of steadily since his rookie year um so statistically i think there's reason to think he's been better but like i don't know like i don't really I, let's just say this that it's kind of funny like i think gary wolfel is like on this john henson's playing great train when i was listening to the radio the other day and i'm just kind of listening there thinking they're like is he is he yeah <laughs> is john henson like part of this part of the solution right, right now i'm i don't know i'm i'm not convinced that you know, if you if you traded John Henson right now, that Miles Plumley would be any type of downgrade. If you suddenly threw Plumley, you know, dusted him off from from his uh, hibernation and threw Plumley in there, I'm really not convinced that Plumley would would be any worse and might potentially even be better because the starters, let's be honest, have still not really played at a very high level. Yeah, um, I feel like with Henson that you could. So if you're describing his game. With every adjective, if you'd put in a blank and then put in good or bad and then describe to me any game he's played this season, I would 100% agree with your assessment. Like, I, I just don't have a feel for him. Like, like, I, I think there's been times in John Henson's career where I've seen him play and thought he's undoubtedly playing great. And I think there's been times where I've seen him play and been like, oh, he's undoubtedly just terrible right now. And then, and now it's just like, yeah, he's there. If you want to argue that he had a great game one night, I could probably let you do it. And if you want to say he had a terrible game one night, I'd probably let you do it. Um, I don't. He he's. I certainly don't think he's playing great, and I don't think he's playing awful. He's he's just kind of been there um, for for the last couple of weeks, which I mean. I guess in some ways is a step up, um, in some ways a step back, but that just kind of seems like the John Henson story um, that no one really ever knows what to make of him. Um, to go back to closing time stuff um, in whether or not that that Delhi Giannis pick and roll action may or may not work, and I know I know every time we talk about something. Working or not working offensively, I will mention half-court pace. And I bring it up literally all the time. And I'm sure anyone who listens to us probably is annoyed of hearing about it at this point. But I feel like so many of the Bucks late-game problems not necessarily go away, but 
are a little bit dissipated if they simply get into their action sooner. The, like, so I, I charted out the final, I don't even know how many ever possessions it is from when Giannis returned with about 6.30 left in the Washington game because I didn't watch it live. I watched it afterwards, and everyone told me how terrible the fourth quarter was and all this stuff. And the Bucks seemed to run pretty much the, the same action, and most of it was that Dele Giannis pick and roll or something that got Giannis into the post on most of the time it was Bradley Beal covering him. Sometimes it was Wall. Sometimes it was Markeith Morris. But no matter what, sometimes it was Otto Porter. But no matter what, it was someone smaller than Giannis and someone that you thought, okay, Giannis can dominate in this situation. And so often it would happen that either there was a possession where Delhi ends up missing, I think, a pull-up three that was kicked out to him after Giannis had a post-up on Bradley Beal and didn't really do a lot. He got to the middle of the lane, got kind of confused with his feet, didn't make a definitive move, kicked out, and you got a, a pull-up three from Delhi. And I think there was like seven seconds left on the clock. And in my head, I'm thinking, you know what? That's, I mean, it's not a good look, but with seven seconds left on the clock, Giannis had kicked it out after not doing much with the post-up. Like, okay, that's that's going to kind of happen. And then when you look at some of the bad things that happen, so often they've gotten the switch, but they don't feel like they have enough time to get it to Giannis in the post. Or Delhi's not quite athletic enough to get Giannis in the post. Or even I, I, the Bucks have started to run a bit of a counter where they bring the other post player up high. But unfortunately, if you're trying to run a high-low and John Henson is the high trying to, <laughs> trying to make a pass to the low Giannis, it's not going to work. And it, that's literally something that happened. They did the Giannis Adeli pick and roll to Adeli Giannis pick and roll, get the switch, then a high-low with Henson, and Henson got the ball trying to make a pass, but he's John Henson, so he can't make that pass. Ends up kicking it out to Delhi, and then it's a driving kick to a corner three for Jabari. And it, there's so many times where you wonder why why Giannis's usage gets to be so low in these late-game situations. And I would argue that it's not necessarily because they're not running action for him. They're just not running action for him effectively. And again, if you get into things earlier and have 12 seconds left instead of 9 seconds, maybe you feel like you can get a pass in there. And when you look late in that game, you end, I think, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 or so of the final possessions. Giannis post up. He goes baseline, finds Jabari, who gets uh, tries to lay it in, misses, tips it in again, rolls off, nothing there. Giannis and they had, they had a dunk off. Of, was was that? A, and I no, it, it was, was the same way. They got the yeah. they got the switch, the possession before it was a deli lobbed to Giannis. Giannis catches, finds uh, Jabari for a dunk. The play before that, then the next possession, Giannis post up, gets to the middle of the lane, then he gets a jump ball. Uh, so then they. Go out there, do a pick and roll, Delhi gets blocked. Then the next time, Giannis post up, baseline spin, and a dunk. So the those final two minutes were full of plays ran for Giannis. And, and it, it was entirely Giannis. And, I mean, in there, there's some assists. In there, there's some blown assists. In there, there's some fouls. And in there, there's some... Uh, Maybe I don't want to say miss execution from Giannis, but certainly he gets tied up for a jump ball, and that's not quite as as good as you'd want, and doesn't show up in his usage. So uh, I do think there's a bit of a 
a bit of a misconception that the Bucks don't run action for Giannis late. I think they do, and I think they do almost always run something for Giannis. They just don't do it effectively. And again, not executing late is is a major problem. But I do think that is a, a bit of a misconception that there isn't being things ran for for Giannis because I definitely think there are. Well, let's kind of look ahead a little bit. So Detroit Pistons on Wednesday night. Um, Detroit is a team that that does not shoot a lot of threes. That was that's always the first thing I look at when I'm trying to figure out okay what are, what are the what are the Bucks' chances of beating this team? Um, you know, you start with obviously record. Detroit is is obviously in a, a bit of a, a lull right now. Um, they are one of the teams that you know they've had injuries. Reggie Jackson missed. I don't know how many weeks of the, to start the season with uh, knee tendonitis. Um, had some kind of, you know, whatever, the German voodoo, platelet-rich plasma, whatever <laughs> stuff. Um, which is, that George Crowd's very upset about. Which never sounds like a good thing when you hear that, you know, you have to go to Germany for some procedure or whatever. Yeah. Um, maybe he didn't go off to Germany or whatever. But, but <laughs> the bottom line is things are not well with Reggie Jackson right now. He is sure. back. He hasn't rounded into form just yet. Um I feel like whenever I see the Pistons, I don't feel like KCP has generally killed the Bucks. So I feel like I will arbitrarily make KCP the bellwether of whether the Bucks win this game tomorrow. If KCP scores like twenty five, I'm okay. With it's that. over. Yeah. Um, if KCP scores ten, then then I feel very good about the Bucks' chances. But it is good that the Bucks uh, are facing a team that does not shoot a lot of threes. We talk about that a lot. Um, Bulls being maybe the the prime example of a team that does not shoot a lot of threes, and the Bucks um, have had a very easy time defending thus far this season. Uh, they do take care of the ball very well, um, so that is something. Obviously, the Bucks when they can force turnovers and get easy buckets, that obviously helps as well. But that that is not something that the Pistons have done a lot of. But um, Detroit's just kind of a weird team. You know, we kind of knew coming into the year they didn't have sort of those. You know, they they weren't kind of as loaded in terms of top end talent as you know you you would need to really see a long-term contender um or to see them developing into a long-term contender which i thought was sort of interesting um because they were a team that a lot of people thought would be you know a four or five type seed in the east um you know just sort of this assumption that they would inevitably improve from where they were a year ago and obviously that's where you obviously oftentimes fall into traps you see it you know a team that's kind of young and they start playing better and you just assume that they'll just perpetually get better and obviously the bucks are very curious and seeing if that trend can continue for them um but drummond i don't know feels like drummond's kind of topped out as to what he is you know he's not a, a true franchise cornerstone superstar build around go play through type guy this is not who he is um you know some of his shortcomings defensively as a rim protector i think are, have become more well-known I feel like that's something that people talk about a lot these days and obviously he's a phenomenal rebounder and and you know the best garbage man you could ever hope for but it's hard to to make that guy your your very best player and your foundational player um but they obviously have a lot of other kind of interesting guys you know like Tobias Harris has played pretty well this season um I don't think Marcus Marcus Morris has played particularly well but he's a guy who's often killed the Bucks and he seems to always take bad shots against the Bucks, and he is not lacking for confidence. I think that's a Morris brother thing. Um, but obviously, I'm not going to talk thing. about the Morris brothers. Yeah, we're uh, thank God we don't have a Morris brother on the Bucks that we have to talk about because that would make me sad. Um, but uh, yeah, Detroit's an interesting team. Obviously, the Bucks did not play well the first time they were in Detroit this year. That was on a back to back. I think they lost by like 15 or so. Um, so this is, I think, another good test. And again, you know, we say it over. Over and over again, um, the Bucks are 
you know, there is nothing inevitable about the Bucks running away and um, becoming a, a playoff team. They are going to have to win these types of games. They're going to have to win some games on the road this year against Eastern Conference opponents yeah. and against teams that are competing with them for spots in the East playoff picture. And so far, you know, we saw the game obviously in Chicago that they won, um, but they have, you know, to date, obviously um not been been very impressive on the road and they're only 10 and 7 at home as well they haven't really been great at home record wise even though they've had some phenomenal performances at home and you obviously have to hope that they can start to um pull things together and and start to bring some of those home performances out with them on the road yeah it's i i mean every time again every game is important for the bucks this year like if we're if we're going to be totally honest about whether or not they're a playoff team they're on the bubble and there's a bunch of eastern conference teams on the bubble so anytime they play an eastern conference team we're going to tell you that this is an important game for the bucks and again that's going to get annoying and that may very well defeat the purpose of calling a game important um but at the same time, there, there's just so many teams bunched together in the Eastern Conference that the Bucks do have to find ways to set themselves apart. And like you said, winning games on the road against an Eastern Conference team would be would be extremely helpful. Um, so we'll see if the Bucks can do that tomorrow night. It it could be one of those nights where people are very annoyed, um, just because. Well, when you when you look at the Pistons, they have Reggie Jackson and they have Ish Smith, and both of those guys are are quite annoying for Bucks fans <laughs> uh, because they're quick, they can get into the lane, they often don't need picks to do so, and. When it's Matthew Dellavedova as one of your lead point guards, and um, at time, I, I think Brogdon's been pretty. I, I would say again, Brogdon has answered some questions for me there, um, being able to stay in front of a lot of point guards. But the with the Bucks overload scheme and Delhi certainly, and maybe a little bit with Brogdon, I wouldn't be surprised to see Reggie Jackson, Reggie Jackson, and Ish Smith get into the lane a lot and just be general irritants for the Bucks uh, tomorrow night. So. That's, or I guess tonight, whatever. I don't. I still don't understand what what I should what what I should say there. Um, but yeah, those two are going to be annoying, um, and we'll just have to kind of see uh, what the Bucks can do with that. Uh, the it's this Pistons team. Yeah, like you said, I I just don't know what to think of it. Um, I guess always the assumption is when you have a good coach like uh, like SVG that things are are going to get better and things are and so many people love Stan Van Gundy and that he's gonna immediately have them figuring everything out and Andre Drummond's gonna turn into a monster with them well a lot of that hasn't really happened so um yeah we'll see we'll see what the Bucks can do in Detroit um see if they can kind of get back on the on the right track here and try to do something on this four-game road trip because uh, I would say it probably doesn't get any easier um, as they go to Minnesota, who's been playing a little bit better as of late, and uh, into Chicago on New Year's Eve. So four-game road trip, the Bucks have to see what they can do. It should be a good test for them. Um, I think unless you have anything else, Frank, that should be it for the night. Yeah, a couple other quick stats, a couple other depressing clutch stats go for, for to, to finish off. Bucks second to last in the league, minus 36, um, plus minus overall. So that's just a total number uh, this season. 
They are shooting. They're 24th in uh, field goal percentage in the clutch. So, and again, I'm I'm just looking at NBA.com. So I normally don't like to quote field goal percentage. It's raw field goal percentage and defensive field goal percentage are like the most overused stats maybe around. But um, interesting, the Bucks are definitely the worst three-point shooting team in the clutch. They have made six out of 38 threes all season in the clutch. That's 15.8%. They are they are also the second to last team in clutch free throw shooting. The Bucks in clutch situations this year, 23 of 39, 59%. Only the ding, ding, ding Pistons are worse <laughs> in late game situations from the free throw line. So, um, you know, kind of one of those things is like, are the Bucks just that bad at shooting threes? Well, I know they're not great at shooting threes, but 15.8% bad at shooting threes. <laughs> you know, there's got to be some mean reversion in there at some point because i don't think these guys are just fundamentally that unclutch um <laughs> but then again if they're shooting 59 percent from the free throw line um that that obviously makes you concerned because you know at least with the pistons you can say well andre drummond's a terrible free throw shooter so having him always on the court late in games or trying to keep him on the court that it makes some makes some sense but um for the bucks it's not like you know teams are are hacking john henson when he touches the ball because he doesn't touch the ball much late in games so no real excuse for for a team like the bucks which fields you know four guys who who shoot well from the free throw line and what's henson henson was shooting like over 70 percent the last time i checked which you know we normally don't talk about um but but shout out to john henson for not being an abysmal free throw shooter this season yeah um let's see and i should check before i i say 70.5 percent this year so nice job, hey. John Henson. We were we were just sort of like being all meh about John Henson, but um, at least his free throw shooting has come around this year. But anyway, yeah, let's leave it at that. Fingers crossed the Milwaukee Bucks can can rebound again after uh, maybe a not so exciting loss. Um, it seems that the 500 mark has had a gravitational effect on them <laughs> thus far this season, and uh, considering they're now below 500, let's hope that that gravitational effect once again uh, comes in play on Wednesday in Detroit. All right, that's going to be it for us on Locked on Bucks. Uh, we will talk to you again after the Bucks pistons game. I might be here. I might also not. Uh, so Frank might have uh, some other guests come along for that one. Um, but that will be it for us for tonight. We will talk to you tomorrow. Again, this is Locked on Bucks, your, your source for daily Bucks information, even if well, there's a day where we miss. Um, but we don't do it often. We, we promise you that. Uh, so we will talk to you tomorrow. Uh, this has been Lockdown Bucks. See you later.